Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will continue our discussion of Genesis 4, looking at the first 16 verses. We looked at verses 1 and 2 in our previous episode and we're able to get into, with a little bit of uh, introduction discussion, the children that were born in sin. And it's a good way, it's a good reminder to ourselves to remember that um, both Cain and Abel were born in sin, and therefore they are born with a sin nature. And we're going to see that rear itself here momentarily. Uh, and there were some important lessons to learn. But as we continue moving into verse, verses 3 through 5, Today, and we may not get any further than this, but we'll see, I want us to consider not only the children that are born into sin, but an acceptable offering. And so now we're going to juxtapose the two offerings that are brought before the Lord and discuss some of the theological implications of that. The text says this in Genesis 4.3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So we're looking at an acceptable offering. The first thing I want to look at here in verse 3 is this idea of in the course of time. Uh, We don't know how much time has elapsed. Now we're working on a linear schedule, which is what time is. It's one moment stitched together with another linear in a linear fashion, right? Uh, That's a very technical definition of time, but it works. God exists outside of time. And I I heard one preacher talk about uh, talking about heaven. This is in a different study, not in Genesis. Uh, how heaven, it's its not absolutely correct to think of heaven as eternity, like millions and billions of years, but it is an eternal moment, a uh, moment of pure bliss. It's, uh, you know, and I like that. I think that there's going to be activity in heaven, but it's hard to think of time in heaven because time is done away with. And so from that standpoint, it really is better to think of it as an eternal moment. But the second that sin happened in the world, now we are confined to time and our bodies are subject to deterioration and we see that all around us. And so we live uh, and die by the clock and and the sun and its movements and we calculate time and we can t- calculate days and months and seasons and years. And, and the scripture even weighs in on that. So it's really interesting that it says in the course of time. It couldn't have been a long time. Of course, we know that with uh, with the exception of murder and crime uh, that is going to take place shortly here and then become a pattern going all the way up into Genesis 6 and ultimately will continue even after the preservation of Noah and his family. Um, you know, crime, crime continues, but uh, that accepted as we get into chapter five in a little while, we'll see that the lifespans of these early antediluvian, 
uh, the, these people here that lived before the flood, their lives were extremely long, hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, I don't think that it was hundreds of years Adam and Eve are going to continue to procreate and fill the earth. Uh, everybody's going to come from them, so they're going to have to have daughters who can become wives of their sons and so forth and so forth and so forth, uh, and, and we'll get to that uh, in due time as well. But it's an interesting prospect to consider this idea that in the course of time, on the one hand, it could mean that it took time for some of the plants to grow so that a harvest could be gathered from them, could mean that some of the animals took time to grow as well. But there is also an argument against that because we know that God created everything, a matured world, uh, a matured world that is, you know, maturing, uh, but he created plants with the appearance of age. They have all the markers that they had been around for a long time, just as Adam and Eve were not created as infants uh, and, and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Could it have been weeks, months, possibly? Uh, we know that Adam and Eve have these two boys, and we know how long human gestation takes, and we know that they had to eventually grow up and, you know, there had to be some space between both Cain and Abel because there's nine months, there's a little bit of recovery time, and then they become pregnant again and to deliver. And then these boys have to grow up. And as we're going to see, they're going to have to learn some of the ways of God. Some of this is is not written, it's not made explicit, but it's understood by the reactions. We can We can infer these things from the text and the surrounding context. So some of these uh, things with regard to worship and posture and relationship to God are going to have to be communicated. No doubt that's going to come from Adam and Eve, and they're going to communicate that to their boys. Their boys are going to have to uh, begin to, to fulfill these roles that we see as well. Okay, back to verse 2. Cain, uh, you know, was a worker of the ground, and and we see that. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Well, that's not going to be true when you're six years old, maybe when you're 12, maybe, you know, and, and of course you can start children on that a lot younger than, you know, the labor laws of our current country say today. I mean, it's good to start learning trades and skills and those type of things when you're younger. So it could be that they're teenagers, but of course they've had time. So over the course of time, in the course of time, we understand that they've grown to begin to fulfill these roles where they find themselves as workers of the land, as keeper of the sheep. Uh, we don't know how long it is, but however long doesn't matter. The importance isn't uh, exactly how long it is. The importance is what happens. Uh, but during that time, something had to have been communicated with regard to worshiping the Lord. How do we know that? Well, we move on from discussing the course of time to the offering. And we discover that there are two different offerings that are presented for us in the text. And uh, we see this here in verse 3. The first offering is brought by Cain. It's an offering of the fruit of the ground. He's listed first because he's the firstborn. And I just want to state here that in principle... We find later that God looks at the heart, but he also is examining our motives and what we have the ability to do. And we know that no offering that is brought should be uh, just free and without sacrifice and labor, okay? 
So we have to kind of couch what is going to be said here in a moment with all of those variables. If you're absolutely destitute uh, and you cannot afford, you know, a, a meat offering as such, I mean, go back to the <laughs> go back to the institution of temple worship in Leviticus, really tabernacle worship then, but that followed into the temple. And we find that, you know, for certain offerings, you're supposed to bring a bull. And if you don't have the bull, then you can bring a ram or goats. And, and it starts to work down to, to less expensive animals and then to the poorest of the land for a sin offering because you have sinned and you want to seek forgiveness. Anything's available. They can even bring two turtle doves. And the point of that is you don't even have to raise the turtle doves. You can just go out and catch them and then bring that as an offering to the Lord. Now, having said all of that, the fact of the matter is, is every believer should have the attitude and the posture that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the people and those who dwell therein, right? Psalm 24, 1. And, and it really should be that our attitude toward everything that we have is that it is a gift from God. And he's the one who gives us everything, and we should give him of everything that we have. And so we find this in, in principle here in Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and here it is, with the first fruits of all your produce. So this could include, you know, if I have a, a tract of land and I'm growing wheat or barley or something like that, then I need to honor the Lord with the first fruits of that. But the thing is, before we jump too much to Cain's aid, we have to remember that they have the entire world at their disposal, all of these animals. There is more than enough. He could have probably bartered with Abel. He could have talked to his parents to negotiate. Here is the fruit of my hands as I work the ground. I would like to trade, you know, my my vegetables and all of these things here, name your price and I need to purchase an animal because it had been communicated to them that it was going to be a blood sacrifice, if at all possible, okay? So we're not jumping to Cain's defense here, but we are saying and stepping back for a moment saying, you know, it's okay to do those things. Just make sure that your heart is in the right place. Now, it's clear that Cain, maybe his heart uh, you know, and I don't want to go too far on, on this. I'm not saying his heart wasn't complete. It, it was c clearly wrong. And he had an opportunity to correct it. And it could be an innocent type of mistake. But the point is, is he had it within his means. And he later betrayed a bad attitude. So his offering is of the fruit of the ground. And so we've discussed that, but clearly, as we'll get into the reaction, it wasn't correct. But what's the second offering? Well, in verse four, we read this at the beginning, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. All right. So his is the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, we have to set ourselves in context here a little bit because firmly believe that Moses is the one who is being directed by the Holy Spirit to compile texts and uh, things that have been passed down and is the receiver of and stands in receipt of this revelation. But he's also the author, I believe, of, of the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
So keep in mind here that the Spirit is going to be moving him after writing down Genesis to uh, write down Leviticus, which is, as we already mentioned, the institution of tabernacle and temple worship. And in Leviticus, we find that it's not just any animal that you want to pick out of your flock. It's actually prescribed to be the firstborn. And because Abel brings the firstborn, there had to have been some communication between God and Adam and then Adam to Eve, and it was passed down generation to generation, that it's not just an animal in general, but it has to be the first fruit. In other words, that we have something in, we have it in principle already that God expects to be honored with the first because he is the author of life. He gives us everything. And and so we, we find this all the way back at the beginning, even before there's any law that says how we should tithe or anything like this. Uh, the, these predate the law. And, and so it's an interesting discussion. I mean, when we get to Abraham, known and introduced to us in the scriptures first as Abram, we find him encountering this priest of old who has no beginning and no end, at least genealogically, and that's for a purpose, not to say that, that he didn't actually have a father and mother, but this is Melchizedek, right? And Melchizedek is an interesting case study because before the law was, before Moses was born, Abraham pays tithes, a tenth, to Melchizedek. And then we're told later in scripture that in his womb and in his seed, he doesn't have a womb, uh, you understand what I'm saying, Uh, in his seed, in his loins, uh, Levi is present, who's going to be born later. And Levi is the head of the priestly tribe and... So in essence, Levi is actually paying these tithes as well to Melchizedek. And so so we understand that this principle of giving, this tithing, actually long predates the law, and we can actually see it uh, here, not just in, in, there's no tenth that's involved here, but the tithe is to be, when you properly understand it, the first fruit. And so Abel is following that. He's giving the first fruit of his flock and their fat portions. Again, I'd refer you to the book of Leviticus in the opening chapters to see there that that is used in offering. And and the fat could be boiled down and used for other things. And you can use the tallow to make candles. And there's all kinds of things. This is a total offering to the Lord. Everything. He gets it all. Okay. That, that's what we need to take away from this. So Abel is giving to the Lord of the first of his flock. Uh, he's giving the Lord everything. He's not withholding anything. Cain is giving to the Lord from the ground, but it's clear, uh, at least in some way, that something else has been communicated. Okay, so that's going to lead us then to the reaction, the reaction of this, and we won't be able to get to the solution in this this pod uh, this episode here. But the reaction is this, and it's the Lord's reaction. There's twofold reaction. There's the Lord's reaction, and then there's Cain's reaction. So as we pick it up in the middle of verse four, we read this, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Stop right there. So we don't get into Cain's reaction just yet. Let's look at the Lord's reaction. He had regard for Abel and his offering. Now this word regard in the Hebrew uh, with with use with Jehovah, with Yahweh, uh, describes divine regard of the sort that brings joy to the individual. In other words, this offering that Abel brought 
brought joy to the Lord. He is happy with, he is uh, joyous over the heart behind the gift, the gift itself, which shows acceptance of the word of God, uh, that he has taken it by faith. All of those things that we talked about, right? So something had been communicated to Adam and Eve. God had already demonstrated bloodshed before them with the, uh, the covering of animal skins. They would have no doubt seen that animal slaughtered before them and witnessed death at the very beginning. And God communicated that to them, and they in turn communicated it to their children and the importance that that be the best, the first fruit of the flock. It's a total offering. And when Abel brought it, it brought the Lord joy. That's what that means, that regard there. So we see that. But then it says, and just very plainly, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, understanding the regard there, it's not that he's animistic. He's not angry, but it doesn't bring him any joy. This is, this is not something that, re, that required sacrifice. There was nothing here that was any work before the Lord in awe and majesty, a demonstration of faith, nothing. And so we have to understand that. And that brings us then to Cain's reaction at the end of verse 5. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So we, like I said, we won't have time to get into the solution and the lesson that, that follow in the verses that come uh, after this, but Cain was very angry and his face fell. He wants the joy of the Lord. He wants that acceptance. And when he doesn't get it, you know, the interesting discussion here, and we don't have commentary explicitly on this, it's not, uh, it's not inherent in the text, is who is the object of his anger? Is he angry at God? It could be. He doesn't have the ability to take out anything on God. Uh, it could be that it's both God and his brother Abel, as we'll see later on, uh, but he has anger. And so we should pause here. Uh, his face fell. Uh, he is, you know, no doubt there's a little bit of shame element there, but also just the anger there and looking down the downcast, downtrodden, and uh, obviously the anger. And it's what do you do when you discover that something that you have done is wrong? It happens to all of us. Uh, but I don't want to get into that too much. I just want to leave you to ponder that because we're going to come back in the next episode and we're going to dive into that even more. We're going to discover uh, what it is and how we should react and the lesson that we can learn from this. So as you think on that, we'll leave this episode right here and pick it up with Genesis 3-6 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.